You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now we've all been there before trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the razor safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, but you already know that. I am starting to get excited. Uh, I've been planning, like, I've been writing things down on calendars, which means once once a hunt goes on the calendar, something big has to happen in order for me to uh, uh, move it. Um, uh, once my, it, let's just say, for example, my elk hunt. Uh, if I draw my elk hunt this year, it would it would need to take a miracle of God for me to adjust that, right? I, I've done all the planning. I've done all the preparation. Um, the dates, for the most part, are set. This is a six or s- seven, I can't remember right offhand, six or seven year um, preference point gathering hunt. And uh, it has been planned. The wife knows about it. So the only thing that would really make me have to move that would be like a death <laughs> or a, a, a major emergency in the family. So uh, I that is what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm planning. Uh, I'm putting things on calendars. Uh, my goal this year is to try to get to, uh, hopefully I draw Wyoming. I'm going back to South Dakota. Potential uh, hunt in Missouri. And that's going to be like probably like a four-day hunt real quick, down and out and uh, then the rut in Iowa. And depending on if I tag out or when I tag out or whatever happens in Iowa, I could go back to Missouri uh, for another, you know, for another uh, crack at that. But the Missouri hunt is uh, uh, a potential. It's not on the calendar yet, but Wyoming's already on the calendar. What else is on the calendar? South Dakota's on the calendar. Iowa rut hunt on the calendar. And there's an asterisk. And I think it all depends on if I'm able to take my wife on a vacation this summer. So I got to I gotta earn some brownie points at that point. But um, what, are we, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a guy out of Michigan. His name is Kevin. I think I, I'm going to say it right. Kevin Van, Vanderplug. Yeah, Kevin Vanderplug. Dude is... Uh, uh, a crazy whitetail sob, just like the rest of us, or a crazy bow hunter, just like the rest of us. He loves to hunt deer. He loves the process. And in this episode, he kind of breaks down his his annual strategy. 
And if you follow me on social media, I've been doing a little scouting already this year. Uh, And um, so we kind of break down the process, right? We break down the trail cameras, how he runs trail cameras, how he does his scouting um, on multiple multiple farms in multiple states, uh, you know, because the strategy for a farm that is just down the road to uh, scouting a, a property that is multiple states away is a completely different process right uh, trail cameras play a big role in how he scouts um, maybe uses some historical data f- from previous years maybe he uh, has some cell cams maybe he um, is able to uh, you know check trail cameras quite often but he breaks down his entire process uh on how he has found success throughout the years not only in a high pressure state like michigan but some of the other states that he hunts as well and we i don't even know he i know he, he killed uh, a great mule deer this year but i don't know if we get into that i know it's uh, it's a heavy white tail focused uh podcast but either way man it's uh it's an awesome episode and and as you will continue to hear and if you didn't know already i love breaking down other people's strategies uh especially other people who are successful and one thing that we can all get out of this is there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat, right? Um, some guys do it one way and some guys do it completely opposite. And either sometimes they both work. So that's what I'm trying to get out of these conversations is the ability to think outside the box, the ability to get outside of your comfort zone and uh, take a situation that uh, may not be good and find a way to turn it good. And uh, hopefully it leads to a big old mature buck on the ground. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, but we do have to do a commercial. Today is Wasp and Vortex. Uh, huge fan of Vortex Optics. Uh, they're, they're a supporter of this podcast and it's easy to work with them for a couple reasons one the team that they have over there it's just i love working with companies who are good who have good people working for them whether that is a mom and pop uh, operation or whether it's a bigger company either way i like to work with people who are not a hundred percent focused on selling product obviously they have a business to run but the people at vortex not only are knowledgeable but they care about one thing and that is your success and how you feel about their products right and uh, their vip warranty really is the exclamation point on that company man you buy a product from them you break it you damage it whatever it gets in a house fire a bear eats it you back over it with your truck uh you lose in a video game to your kid and you spike it on the floor you put it in a box you send it to them they fix it and they send it back to you for free. That's how it works. Uh, and they have an awesome uh, lineup of spotting scopes. They have an awesome lineup of binoculars, range finders, rifle scopes, red dots. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm really excited about testing out their uh, their new tripods this year for my spotting scope. So uh, vortexoptics.com, go check them out. Wasp. Wasp, Wasp Archery, again, another awesome company that has awesome people working for it that care about your success out in the field. And uh, 
I don't know, man. Just talking with Fred Doherty, one of their engineers and one of the guys who works for the company, you can hear how passionate he is about the material that they use, the fact that some of their heads are made in the USA, the fact that uh, they care what you think, right? It's not just uh, numbers on a piece of paper. They care. They listen to the, you know, they listen to the, um, the people who use their products on a daily basis and they turn that information into new products or redesigns or uh, information to help them cater to the end user which is you so um i'm a huge fan of the jackhammer uh mechanical for whitetails and uh, my uh, uh mule deer hunts this year if i draw my wyoming tag i'm going to be using the boss four blade it's a fixed blade a uh, huge fan of that head and just again great material great design great construction and it all leads to the very first thing that makes contact with an animal when you're a bow hunter so uh huge fan of their heads if you want to go find out more information visit wasparchery.com take a look at uh, your favorite mechanical or fixed blade heads and then enter the discount code when you just when you decide to purchase that is nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers 2020 so nine fingers 2020 and that's going to save you 20 percent on your purchase other than that i say we get into today's episode with kevin vanderplug three two one all right from michigan mr kevin vanderplug kevin what's up man man that much how you doing man it's good man i'm like i said before we started recording I'm in a real good mood. Uh, I don't, like. I went out mushroom hunting, and I don't know about you if you do any mushroom hunting, but I went out mushroom hunt, hunting, and you know mushrooms grow on the ground, but just the nature of me being out in the woods, I'm looking at terrain features, I'm looking up in the trees, I'm like I'm not. <laughs> I found myself covering all this ground and not even looking for mushrooms. I found a couple, but I was. I don't want to go back. I'm like, oh, look, check out this. Check out this, man. This is an awesome trail that comes into this pinch point. The terrain feature leads here. The wind's going to do this and all the thermals and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not even thinking about mushrooms. And uh, I don't know. I fe- but I did find a good tree stand location out of the deal. So that's where my mindset is right now. <laughs> Me too. I haven't really found any many mushrooms. It just turns into a scouting mission either way. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, we've... Uh, I really don't know how to transition into what we're going to talk about today because I honestly don't have a, a, a set plan. But like I said, I just said, we have been out in, I, I've been out scouting, right? And I've been, you know, looking at terrain features and, and, uh, I, I go and I find a tree stand location and then I go to the maps and I try to find an access route to there, to them. Where, like, you you hunt in Michigan, right? So are you hunting a lot of private ground in Michigan? Um, do you hunt a lot of public ground in Michigan? I know you do some out-of-state hunts. So kind of break down the areas uh, that you're hunting for us. I generally end up hunting a lot of private ground in Michigan. I'm looking for a specific buck. I would just like it to be, you know, Pope and Young or so or bigger in, in Michigan. That takes... A lot of time, effort, properties. Uh, I run a lot of trail cameras. You know, I got a lot of trail cameras on public even, and I'll go there if I have to. But if I got something on private, 
I'll probably end up hunting there mostly. So yeah, yeah, and that's the same. Yep. That's the same thing here in Iowa, man. I I, uh, I got access to public. I I have some good. I guess I'll call them backup pieces on public where if the private that I'm on is overrun or uh, there's no deer that get me excited, I'll bump down onto some, uh, some public and start the process, you know, there. But in the past couple of years, I really haven't had to, had to do that. So you mentioned trail cameras though. Um, I want to see how similar your trail camera strategy is to my trail camera strategy. Like when do you get your trail cameras out? When do you start checking them? When do you, you start that whole process? Uh, usually, I don't know, like June or July, somewhere in there, even a little earlier, some properties, wherever I'm feeling like, but yeah, I bought, you know, I stepped up the game a, a year or so ago. I found a bunch of trail cameras for reasonable and I just, I stacked them on, I don't know, I probably got 30 trail cameras. So I end up running a lot here and then a lot out of state now too. So, yeah. So, oh, so you're, you're actually making trips out of state to set up some trail cameras. Uh, this, this year I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, so first off on in Michigan where you live, um, how often are you checking the trail cameras once you, once you set them out? Because in Michigan, you can't put mineral down, right? Right. Uh, I don't check them very often. I mean, I have some that will be out on the edges of food sources. You know, you can go check those more regular. But if I have anything way back in, I don't check it very often. Yeah. Once a month, once every two, whatever works, you know. Yeah. So then once the season gets here, then how how often do you start checking them to see if there's a A, a shooter deer and B, if he's killable? Um, I usually make a good sweep through. You know, right before season opens, if I can, you know, if the wind direction and stuff's good, if I can ease in, try to get a game plan for what's most recent. Um, so I'll do that. And then uh, then I usually just don't check them unless I'm going that direction towards a stand or if it's an easy one or something. But yeah, mostly just for inventory for the most part. Yeah. So just like a hypothetical here, it's, it's, uh, it's in season you go and check your trail cameras and there's a shooter deer on on there maybe it's nocturnal i don't know maybe it's daylight whatever um how what goes through your mind and uh the process of how you attack that target animal then well unfortunately you know unless you're using cell cams all your camera information is already passed you know i mean depending on how many days pass but it's passed so right that's why it ends up being mostly inventory purposes um but this first year i shot this year was fairly regular on trail camera so i mean i can honestly say that the trail cameras really helped out with this this first buck i shot this year so i end up checking them fairly often because he was fairly regular and the cameras didn't seem to bother this particular deer yeah so like walk us through that then i mean you had it sounds to me you had uh a deer on trail camera regular regularly what was the uh the 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 steps that you took to put yourself into position to harvest him at that point or kill him at that point okay um this deer ended up being fairly visible really close to the property i could hunt in the bean fields and stuff a lot of people were seeing him um so i already i was hoping he was going to stay there I got a lot of other buddies and neighbors in the area that have pictures of him. So I know he was 
in the area, but he was still traveling. You know, people a mile away were getting pictures of him. But getting closer to season, he was using the fields and the property that I could hunt. Yeah. So what I did, I ended up dropping. He was using the north end of the property a lot. So I ended up dropping a bunch of cameras more on the south end of the property, almost to see if if he's not down there, you know, if one of these cameras don't catch him, then he's definitely staying on the north end. Um, I figured I could, I've been hunting this property since I was, you know, 13. So I know the property very well. So I figured I could get a shot at him if he was using it. Um, so I put those cameras there and I went out west. I went out west in September elk hunting and come back picked up all my cameras off of public and then grabbed all these cameras. And then he surprised me. He was on the far South end of the property, even though he was acting like he was on the North end, he was coming out the North end all the time, but he was betting on the far South end of the property. So I started getting a bunch of pictures of him on the South end. So I was really feeling good because that is using the majority of the property that I have to hunt. He's using the entire thing to get to the food. So, yeah. So that's kind of cool though, right? From a strategy standpoint, you got pictures of him, um, where he's like at the destination he's going to, but then you also have pictures of him coming out of a bedding area or whatever. And so you have this straight, this line, like a potential line that he's traveling, which allows a guy to put himself into position somewhere uh, along that line. Um, you know, once you figured out, you know, his bed and then his food, like, how did you make your move in on him to get, you know, between those two? Well, the funny part is, is I ended up, he was betting closer than I thought he was where I thought he would be betting. And when I went in to check my cameras, like a couple of days before season, the wind was perfect for me. I know it wasn't blowing to where I thought he was betting. Um, so I checked the cameras and he was there while well, I started hunting him right away October 1st morning according to the cameras I should have killed him and unbeknownst to me I checked a few of the other cameras over the next day or so he 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 was betting closer than I thought he was betting watching the access trail he didn't win me the first day in to check my cameras he had to have seen me he changed his routine a little bit and started using more on the north end of the property for a day or two okay so so (laughs) You he he felt that pressure from you come in come in right, and so yep. he made an adjustment. Now was he still on that from where you thought he was betting to that destination? Was he still on that that line, so to speak, just closer to the destination? No, I think he completely. He ended up showing up on a camera that was just in the woods a ways on the very north end. So I think he completely changed his bedding for a couple of days. Okay. I didn't really like the second or third day there, the second day probably of oh. season. All right. So so you checked the trail cameras again, and they weren't like the – his pattern was had changed, right? Yeah. Okay. So how long did it take for you to adjust your strategy to try to get on him again? Was it something quick or was it, did it take like a week or so? Uh, I, I ended up, he was going past, let's say like two or three cameras within a couple hard hundred yard span. I ended up hunting him closer to the food source, even though the pictures were kind of like gray light, but I thought 
I could probably still get a shot. I was trying to tape it. Not that it really matters. I don't tape for anybody or anything, but I was trying to film my hunt. So I was hunting back in the woods closer to his bedding. Um, so I started hunting closer to the food and then it was the morning of the third. I was hunting kind of closer to the food. And actually my, my mom texted me and said that he seen, she's seen him out there. So it's at my parents' place and they can see across the lake and everything. And they said they could see a big buck standing back there. And he headed in the woods, not very far from where I was. I actually thought I should have been able to see him, but I didn't. But the where he headed into the woods was way closer than the pictures on the far north end of the property. So I kind of figured he was heading back to get back on the original pattern that he was on. I got you. So, I, I must have bumped him off because I'm telling you, Dan, I could have almost put money on that I should have killed the thing opening morning i mean yeah. he was regular yeah <laughs> all right so then then what was the next step i mean it sounds to me and, and this is just an assumption but it sounds to me that you were hunting behind him almost you, he was getting up out of his new bedding and going to this food source and uh you weren't even in in that path at all was is that accurate yeah. or was it something different no, that's accurate. I tried to stay hunting them on the same pattern. Um, more on, like I said, more on the south end of the woods. I had northern winds and not knowing exactly till I checked the one camera where, how far north he was. I didn't want to, you know, blow the hunt and have him win me yeah. just by me guessing where he, I just kind of hung back on the south end. Yeah. Were you, uh, were you, did, did you have, um, uh, I guess, were you trying to hunt him in the mornings as well uh, and evenings on early season? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I took, I think opening day was Thursday, October 1st. So I took that off of work and hunted them in the mornings. All I had was uh, a few evening hunts. I think my son had some football games and stuff in there. So I had a couple morning hunts and maybe one evening hunt or so in there. Okay. in that In that first week, though? Yeah, I end up shooting them on the third. So I mean, everything okay. happened. Within, oh, okay. So all this within. whole story takes place in three days, basically. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All yep. right. So, um, on the third day, then on on the day you shot him, was that a morning hunt or a an afternoon hunt? The morning hunt was the one that my mom said he seen him. Okay. Go in the woods. Okay. Where I was hunting. So. It, that I was really jacked up about. Yeah. All right. So um, he made it back to his bed or, or back to a bedding area at that point. Um, what was your plan then for that afternoon hunt? Um, well, knowing that I was pretty sure he was back in his normal bedding area and knowing how he reacted when I checked my cameras that he's set up not really in the thicker stuff that I thought he's set up more out in the open and he's a hundred percent watching the access, the normal access that we access like an old logging trail or something that we access the woods through. And that's a hundred percent what he was betting on is watching that. So I just went in, you know, a little bit earlier than normal and I completely went through nastiest, thickest stuff. Yeah. Opposite of where he, yeah, he had no clue that was coming in there from that yeah. direction. So was it yeah. like a 180-degree turn for you uh, as far as access access routes? Like, uh, did you come in kind of quartering back behind him to your tree stand location? No. When I normally access, I'm kind of 
walking right at them and then i veer off to the right to hunt them and this time i you know veered way off to the right right from the get and walked through the entire property still towards him and then i i knew then roughly where he was betting so i could only get you know 120 yards or so was probably the safest i felt to get to him and he was using enough daylight where i didn't really have to push in much farther anyway so. I gotcha. Was this on a tree stand that you already had set or was this like a, a mo um, a, like a new mobile set that you were hanging up there as well? I was carrying my stand and sticks in, uh, on every hunt for this deer. Okay. One of the evening hunts I tried in one of my other ones and the wind was wrong. So I got down and hung mobile and then I, so I hunted mobile for him the entire time. Nice. So. Nice. All right. Yep. So, the so this three-day little i don't even know what to call it like this it's like a, a, a mini season almost where you're 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 making all these minor adjustments you're checking trail cameras you're doing all these things in this first three days and it's led to you to come up to now which is the third day the afternoon hunt um it it, it led you to take a crazy uh a crazy access route into this this timber how did you know where to set up at that point without him with you know as far as you're concerned without him seeing you um well i where i assumed he was betting i knew he had to be you know 40 50 60 yards closer and then you know in the winter after i shot him i went back i'm pretty sure i found his bed he was and there's really not much there. I, he's like I said, he was betting just to watch the access. Yeah. So I knew roughly where I got right on the edge of the stick stuff, and it kind of opened up into some old logging trails and stuff where I actually shot him. Yeah. So I set up right on the edge of the stuff with a little bit of cover by me, but it's fairly open. Actually. Yeah. Was there was there a good good terrain feature or a trail that was you know within shooting distance that was leading down uh, into this? Uh, um, was it how far away were you from the the food source at this point? Mm, I was probably 150, 200 yards from the food. Okay. And how far past you do you feel he was betting? Uh, probably 120. Okay. So he's, he's traveling almost, uh, 300 yards roughly, um, by your stand to get to this, uh, to get to the food source. Um, now once you get set up, kind of walk us through how that afternoon went. Was there any other deer? Did, uh, I mean, like, did you, did you have a good feeling you were going to get an encounter with him? Yeah, I actually, uh, <laughs> said that on the tape too. And I actually said it to a couple of my buddies. They said, I think I'm like, I'm going to kill this thing, man. I know I'm going to at least see it. But yeah, I was in the spot I needed to be in. Yeah. Um, I seen those and stuff, but that was the only buck. You know, just not too long before dark, 45 minutes before dark, he was the only buck to come out of that. Yeah. Where he was betting. Okay. So, uh, walk us through that, uh, that encounter. Like when, how long uh, before, uh, sunset, did you see him, you know, walk us through him coming into, into shooting range and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I snuck in there. It was fairly early in the day, three, three, three thirty or so. Um, Took my time getting in there. Really took my time picking a tree. Um, I was only, I hunted this deer. I was only two sticks high on this deer. Um, there's a lot of deer in Michigan. I've told you that before. I'm sure 
Uh, there's a lot here in Michigan compared to other states. Yeah. I had like 12 or 13 does go by me. You know, and it was, we had a good cool front the whole first part of October, which really had the deer moving, but it was like a really light wind. So I was chancing it with the wind. It was blowing from north to south, and he was coming from, you know, the, he was coming from the south. I guess the wind was northwest to southeast, let's say. Okay. Uh, and then it was, it was probably maybe an hour before dark, and uh, I finally caught a glimpse of some movement way, you know, over 100 yards through the woods, and I could see legs coming at first, and then he stepped out. I could see his rack, and it was it was him, no other bucks around. And I was pretty sure the, where I picked, you know, I picked the stand where I was going to get a close shot, but, you know, I have a couple other pictures where, you know, he could have been like 40 yards away, but I have two or three pictures of him where he should be like 10 to 15 yards away. And he ended up working right down just – you know, didn't have a clue. I was there, felt really confident probably because nobody walked in that access trail and he was just eating a few acorns and picking at some grass and stuff on his way down through there. Um, and he ended up coming by 15 yards. Yeah. I, I had to, yeah, I had to bleat to stop him. Um, I made a perfect shot near him like 70 yards. So me, I could hear him fall. So, you were obviously you were confident here uh, that he was watching that access route, right? And he didn't see anything. As you as this deer was moving through the timber, what was his body language like? What like was he um, obs- like really observant, or was he just kind of chill and relaxed? No, he was really really chill and relaxed. Yeah. Was really, I was the you shoot one like that they're not on edge from yeah. you or from something yeah. else yeah which is yeah. awesome right because uh it, it's it's uh it just verified that he was in fact watching that access route he did not see anything coming and he's like yeah i'm gonna do what i always do i'm gonna watch this access route i'm gonna get up get up i'm gonna go walk to that uh that food source and uh i'm gonna eat until i'm full and then i'm gonna go back to bed and other, you know, uh, and you won and, uh, sounds like you slammed him, man. Yeah. Yeah. I made a, a pretty good heart shot on him, a pretty heavy blood trail. And like I said, you could hear him crash even in the video and stuff. He didn't make it very far. You know, he was down like two seconds. So yeah. Was, uh, yeah. was this a buck that you had history with throughout the years? Uh, you know, I hear everybody talk about that in podcasts. It just doesn't seem to happen too much. I just to get history with a deer, you know, a deer like this is almost like a fluke. That's why I end up having so many properties and run enough trail cameras. It's like once every two years, not a deer like this caliber even, but you know, sometimes you don't even have any shooters Yeah, on all my property. Yeah. 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 So for reference here, is this the buck, uh, by the, by a body of water with like a cavity in the background? Yep. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. and I'm just assuming again. That's a stud for a Michigan deer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big buck. Yeah, I mean that's a big buck anywhere, really. What do you, uh, do you score your deer at all? I do. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a big buck for anywhere. Um, he scored out at one fifty three. Yeah. And he's basically just almost basically just an eight point. He's a ten point, but his G fours are real short. So. Yeah. 
That's a, a gorgeous deer. Do you, did you happen to guess an age on him? I think he was four. Four. Be my yeah. guess. Wow. Yeah. It's hard. It's kind of hard to judge a deer's age. You know, like I can I can look at a deer uh, in the summertime. I can judge his body. You know, there's not that winter coat on. I can say, oh, that's a four year old or that's a three year old or whatever. But then um, you you get those early season deer where their neck isn't huge yet, but they they're starting to grow that winter coat and it's it can almost throw everything off like for me uh it could you know make a shooter not a shooter you know what i mean yeah yeah you have it you have it rougher i think (laughs) you really have to watch you know yeah whatever yeah no it's just like no one will agree with you though no one will agree with you to say that i have it rougher than you (laughs) If you're looking for a particular deer and you're really conscious about the age and everything, yeah. I think you got it rougher. You know, anybody in Michigan, I mean, if they see a hundred inch deer coming, they're they don't have to think about it. They're probably shooting it. So. Yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned something that I, I, I find kind of interesting there, and that is um, some years you like you don't you don't really have a lot of deer that keep coming back to your place over and over again. Meanwhile, on the farm that I hunt, you know, there are times where I can watch a deer go three, four years. I mean, shit, some last year, last year I had a, a picture of a, I'm guessing him to be 11 years old and I have trail camera pictures of him every single year since he was a four-year-old. Uh, so that's like what, seven years, uh, that's more than that, uh, you know, seven years worth, yeah, seven years worth of trail camera pictures of this deer. And you know, I, I gain history. Why do you think that on the properties that you hunt there in Michigan, you don't tend to have like a lot of history or returning customers to a property? Honestly, I just think it's the hunting pressure. I just think there's enough people hunting in Michigan and enough neighbors and everybody else and shooting them. They just don't make it you know like for instance this one could be one that i had last year i on this property last year i had four bucks that were right around 120 now two got hit by cars and one for sure got shot and then i heard rumor of another one getting shot so i just assumed i didn't have any yeah now, maybe he was one 120s last year like a, a 128 point is your standard big buck around here probably yeah it could have been one of those you know last year but yeah i, I don't know and then he one of the ones that were over, you know, my dentist, he said he had pictures of this buck, but he's like a mile away. Yeah. So it's crazy. Though. It's crazy what, uh, you know, you hear stories, um, even in, so, so my uncle, he lives in Kansas and he has, he has like evidence of trail camera pictures. So, uh, following a, uh, a crick system, right? Like three to, I think it was like seven miles away seven miles as far as from one trail camera to the other trail camera he's got the same deer on trail camera multiple times in the matter of a week out there which tells me these deer in wider open you know wide open places like kansas nebraska you know some of the dakotas are are traveling a long ways during the rut and in iowa you know i feel like they stick closer to um, to a, I don't want to say a core area, but an area, 
Um, and then they will go out and, uh, you know, once that second half of the rut hits, they'll go out on a cruise mission, right? And they'll, they'll go multiple miles, but I don't think it's ever seven. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I have, yeah. I have had, I have talked with guys who are, um, uh, on neighboring farms that let, let's say a mile away where we've shared information with each other. And it's like, Oh yeah, I got this buck on cam- camera. Oh yeah. I got this buck on camera. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what it's like up there for you. Well, like I said, some of the neighbors, a lot of the neighbors had pictures or had seen it, but you're still talking when you're talking to a neighbor here, you're talking a quarter mile, half mile away, not, yeah. you know, miles. Right. You know, if a deer was going to run a mile have to cross, you know, he'd be, walking in front of 40 hunters i mean in like 20 different properties <laughs> right right so it's just just different i guess yeah so you know with that said i want to i want to bounce back to trail cameras because i feel like you're a little bit like me where trail cameras play a big role in uh where we hunt and how we hunt right uh sometimes for good and sometimes for bad when when you have a trail camera in a specific area throughout, you know, throughout the season and you're not getting any shooter bucks on it or you're getting shoot, uh, another shooter buck on um, a completely different uh, part of or a different farm or wherever. Does that trail camera stay in that location for the entire season or because there's nothing worth shooting on it, you take it down and move it uh, somewhere else? Um, I usually leave, you know, at least one camera running on each property year round if I can. Yeah. Just to kind of throughout that property. But um, this year, like I said, it was a little bit different. I had so many cameras that I ended up just plastering this area. I mean, that's where I had the biggest buck anyway that I wanted to kill. So I just really plastered it with it. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. W- once you bumped up on those trail cameras, like, do you f- feel that all those additional pictures that led to sightings or whatever helped you or did not help you? Yeah, this year on this buck, it definitely helped me. Okay. Um, you know, people talk like, you know, like I think Cody DeQuisto didn't even use any trail cameras this year. I mean, if you're looking for a particular buck in, in a state like Michigan, if you're looking like the ones I'm looking for are, rare really rare i almost have to run cameras to at least find something that i want to shoot so yeah yeah you know how you could do it without yeah especially <laughs> especially in a state where you know i don't know a lot of people say that they want to bump up and shoot a higher cal- caliber deer whether that's by age or by uh you know antler size but i feel like a guy would be wasting so much time just hoping and praying he was in the right spot for something, especially in a state like Michigan, right? Like, because yeah. what you just shot there is very rare for the state. Yeah. So, yeah, man, yeah. that's uh, congratulations, by the way. That's a, a stud animal anywhere. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, you know, we do a lot of, I'll do glass and, and maybe even some shining and stuff. You know, I still do that all summer long and try to locate other ones or, or get a feel for an area, but. You know, if you got somebody that has their one good piece of hunting property and they're waiting on a 120-inch buck, I mean, like I said, I got those properties, and I only, you know, once every five years you have something like that, you know, or yeah. a property like this, you know, food plots, I do some work maybe once every two years or something, but a deer this big is 
kind of unheard of, really. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit less about hunting and more about you. I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he was talking to me about, like, oh, man, uh, there's no good deer in my area, or I don't... uh, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't seem to get on any good deer and all this stuff. And he hunts, he hunts in a really good part of the state. Um, he hunts, uh, on a really good farm that he leases. But as I get to know him and talk to this guy, he starts telling me about like, uh, Oh, I, uh, this weekend I'll go to a football game or this weekend I'll go play golf or this weekend I'll do this, this, and this. What is your life like? Because my life is hunting. Like I don't, I'm not a member of golf. I don't do softball leagues. I don't do fantasy football. I don't do shit except think about hunting. Like that's what I do. What, like, are you focused on the one thing or do you kind of spread your, you know, wings and do a whole bunch of other activities? No, I gave up all my other hobbies. I do some fishing. Um, my son likes fishing and they're really like, we're talking about big bucks and stuff, yeah. but it's all about having a freezer full too. You yeah. know, that's, that's all we, most part, we don't buy meat really in the store. We don't do none of that stuff. It's all, so I got to harvest enough animals to eat all year too. So, yeah. but yeah, that's all I, you know, I watch my kids football game or something like that, but I'm, I probably hunt 70, 80 days a year. 90, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But yep, then Scott, down. yeah, but I think what people don't understand is that locating a good deer to shoot, it doesn't matter what state you're in, like locating a, a, a deer that, you know, everybody wants to step up and shoot a quote unquote, big old buck, big mature buck. That's the, those are the buzzwords, right? Uh, everybody wants to yep. do that. But I, I still feel like after my 500 plus, episodes right you know you hear me and mark Kenyon talk about it every once in a while on the wired to hunt podcast it's just like people still don't aren't doing it they're 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 going and doing all these other quote-unquote fun things and then when (laughs) when the time comes to actually hunt they're confused why they're not seeing the deer or, or or locating the deer when that process in my opinion starts right now like right now in the spring is when you get the trail cameras out, you start looking for returning customers, you start doing all these things. And, um, and then they're just, you know, people are clueless. Like, well, I don't understand why, you know, I should have a good deer on the farm, but I don't, you know, when it takes multiple farms and multiple scouting missions and multiple trail cameras and all these other things that you don't have to do. But if you want to locate a really good deer and bump up from what you're normally uh, shooting that takes a lot of time and effort yeah i agree i think uh some of those guys you're talking to their definition of want is a little bit d- different than my definition of want yeah yeah <laughs> just you got I mean, that that's what you got to be about i don't know i mean yeah. you can have a really good piece of you know hunt 10 days a year and get lucky but yeah i don't know you yeah. hard, you to be consistent you got to really want it you got to get out there and get after it yeah and some of the guys that i follow on um you know on on social media who are the grinders i call them these dudes are out all the time they're checking trail cameras all the time they're scouting all the time spring summer fall winter 
And these guys, they have backups, right? So it's like, hey, my number one deer, I'm going to go in. I'm going to, you know, try to shoot them. If I can't shoot them because of hunting pressure, someone else shot him, I can't find him. I'm going to go to a different deer. I'm going to locate a different deer and do this. And, and, and it's, they're, they're fluid in their approach to where they're, they just keep going, you know, from one spot to the next spot to a spot that they've scouted. And they have like 10, 15, 20 spots all lined up and ready to go. Now, I know for a lot of guys on the East Coast, that seems impossible with the size of the properties that um, people are hunting. But man, it's just like, for me, it's, I guess it's, uh, it comes down to how bad do you want it, right? Yeah. yeah you can't settle for uh, for less. I mean, if you want something, go get it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything takes hard- yeah. And like you mentioned about filling the freezer too, that's something that I personally have been slacking on over the last couple of years, man. I've, I've shot my buck and that's about it. And I really do need to start shooting more does just, just for that one reason. And that's to, that's to fill the freezer, man. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. We, uh, we made some venison bacon this year and we do some venison mixed with pork, different types of sausages and spicy stuff. And then, all your burgers, your steaks, and and I got a family of four, so I need to I need to put them in the freezer. So yeah. and I got wife and kids helping. Yeah, yep, yep. All right, so kind of shifting here. You hunt a lot of other states, right? Um, are you mostly hunting out of state for whitetails, or are you hunting for other, like going out west for muleys or elk? Yeah, this year I went out west again for mule deer and elk gotcha. and then i i can't i can't get away from the uh the white tails you know especially during the rut type stuff i yeah. don't think i'll ever get that so yeah so yeah. um let's let's keep it in the white tail realm right now what was your out what were your out-of-state hunts for white tails this year um see i went down i went down a week after i shot this one here in michigan basically just to check the cameras i had in ohio yeah i just hunted for the weekend warm and it wasn't great weather but just to check the cameras and see and basically the running the cameras in some of these other states is just kind of a confidence booster hey you know i got three four or five shooters in this ridge system or whatever so yeah i don't you know if you're that far away it's not like you're gonna hone in on stuff by running a few cameras so (laughs) yeah yeah so What's your, what's your strategy at that point? Is it let the, let the trail cameras be a starting point and kind of go out from there? Or is it a true, truly run and gun from, you know, from the truck, locating fresh sign, terrain, all that stuff every time? Yeah, this year was the the first year that we ran cameras, you know, purposely out of state in Ohio. You know, we run them when we go down hunting, we go down hunting for a week or something, we let some run, but yeah. Um, more or less just to see, you know, if I got, you know, two or three shooters on this ridge, then I'll maybe concentrate my efforts on this ridge. But, you know, I probably ran, I think I ran 14 cameras in Ohio and there's shooters on basically all of them. So it's just, it's nothing like Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but, are you, hunt, uh, th- this is all public ground you're, you're approaching in, in Ohio. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess this year when you went to went down there and, and you checked your cameras, I know that the winter or the, the weather wasn't the greatest, but I mean, 
did you feel like you had a good enough Intel on your trail cameras that allowed you to make some, uh, pretty good moves while you were actually there? Um, I just think the weather wasn't going to really do me any favors for the weekend I was there. Yeah. I mean, it took me a day or so, a couple of days to check the cam- all the cameras anyway. Yeah. That's a lot of walking in hills. Yeah. But you could tell, like, like that first week when I shot the one in Michigan, it was cooler. So it was, it was cooler down there, too. I mean, there was a couple bucks down there that you could have shot in daylight, yeah. too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you first get to a state and it doesn't really matter, uh, what state it is, talk to me about your approach. Like, how do you go in to, cause it's not like here in Michigan where you had all these access to the trail cameras that were giving you, um, I'm going to say up to date information, even though it could have been five days old or whatever. Right. I mean, it's, it's past information, but it's still closer than a week or 20 days or whatever. Right. How do you approach stepping into a property and finding a, a, a good uh, deer that you want to shoot and be like the, where the, that quote unquote deer lives? Um, it's always, it's always going to be tougher out of, out of state, you know, where you only got a week or, you know, two different trips, three different trips down there where you can hunt. So you just, you just got to go for it. You got to dive in and go for it. I mean, yeah, you, you're just hunting mobile. You're hunting the sign. And, you know, if, like I said, if the trail cameras show that this ridge system has a few, I want to shoot, then I'm going to concentrate there. Um, it's really but I mean, you'll hear, you'll hear other guys talk about like Ohio, for instance, like the Exodus trail cam guys and stuff. That's a different, different beast down there. Um, there's not a lot of deer in general. It could be, be tougher to shoot them out of season with, with regularity, I think out of the rut. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So are you, are you going to a different part of like, from from everything I've heard, there's two parts to Ohio. There's the ag country, similar to what we have here in Iowa, and then there's the big woods, hill country that they have down there. Um, which one are you hunting on? Yeah, I'm in the big woods, hill country. You know, I guess if you were on the ag stuff, you could probably hunt that some more similar to the way I hunt Michigan, you know. Yeah. But if you're up and moving in the hills, there's not a lot of them. I just, the rut is easier for me anyway you know, trying to drive five, six, seven hours to go do that stuff. But. Right. Right. So, um, like you, you check your trail camera, um, where are these trail, excuse me, where are these trail cameras located that gives you that information to, so when you, when you do check them, it's, it's either stay or go. Um, I have them on uh, terrain features, which is nice because we don't have really any terrain in Michigan. I'll just try to find like a pinch point, you know, around a ravine or, or something, a saddle or something. And then, um, or if you can find a scrape or something, obviously that'd be really good. Yeah. Um, some of the spots put in a decent spot and then made some scrape and I had actually had some deer hitting them. So, gotcha. but like I said, mostly it's for, it's for inventory and I just wanted to learn, you know, I, some of the cameras stayed till March this year. So, yeah. Did you learn anything from those trail cameras in a, in a different environment, uh, in that big, in the big wood hill, you know, hill type country, like, uh, like root routine as far as, okay, this ridge is good. Uh, the first two weeks 
and then the rut hits and it kind of tapers off or disappears and then it picks back up a, a week later and any of that information like lead to you making a decision on when you wanted to go the next year yeah i think i'm always going to try to go during the rut but after checking my trophy this year uh, there was one 10 point maybe another one that was fairly active in the middle of october on a certain ridge um and then like i said that cold front like i had a lot of pictures like the fourth fifth and sixth i think of october it was cold i had a lot of daylight pictures then too so i think if you wanted to go outside of the rut you know if you knew the area a little bit i think you could do okay if you went outside of the rut but you'd have i mean if you're talking to somebody that's never done it you just need to go and you just need to go and do it i mean yeah you're not out much time you know you're out time but you're not really out much money to go hunt a state like that i mean yeah I, so when you go in and um you make the determination that hey there's a shooter there's a group of deer in this area that i wouldn't mind shooting um, how do you know when, where to set up at this point? And then how long do you give that location until you bounce to a new, a new area? Um, if it's not getting hunted hard, then I would probably stay there for quite a few days. Um, in, in the big woods in Ohio, I honestly think you're almost just as better off just to hold tight to a spot to stand for three, four or five days than you are to be mobile. And I wouldn't say that in other instances like michigan or something yeah i think you have to be more mobile in that big woods you know well for instance the one i shot was at one thirty in the middle of the day you know and my other buddy that was hunting he had another shooter come through at one o'clock in the middle of the day so yeah. almost thinking sitting on stand it would be a good you know good piece of advice for someone going to a state like that yeah so. are, are you a all-day guy i mean do you sit all day i'm like you i don't like to but yeah. i've had I've had plenty enough instances in, in states like that that you, I don't know. You almost have to. Right. It's really hard to do. I don't. And you're waiting for a needle in a haystack to come through. So. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Um, so yeah. the the other uh, picture that you sent me is that an Ohio buck or is that another Michigan deer? Mm, the other one is uh, that's the Ohio one. Okay, and that's from this year as well. Yep. I went to Indiana first though, real quick. We can talk about that real quick. Yeah. Um, like the first week in November, which is, you know, prime rut, everybody wants to go then, but I'm sure it probably was by you, but it was warm. Oh yeah. A warm rut. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sitting here in Michigan. I don't really have anything else I really care to shoot. So I just up and left, you know, I just took some time off work and drove down there, bought a tag and, um, I went to some public that I'd hunted before. And I checked it. No, and I talked to you before. It was 2018. I shot a good one down there. First time in, whatever. Um, 2019, we went down. That was a rough year. They had EHD down there really bad. Yeah. We don't get that in Michigan. But, man, a piece of advice for somebody, don't don't take that lightly because I did, and it was, man, it sucked. Yeah. 2019 down there sucked. Yeah. Yeah, we, down there in Indiana, they brought, the signpost rubs are like a cedar tree, a lone cedar tree. Well, we found probably between 2018 and 2019, we probably found, you know, 75 of those that were hammered in 2018. Not one of them was touched in 19. Not one. Yeah. So I had killed a majority of the bigger bucks down there. Yeah. So Yeah, I heard, uh, I, I heard other guys talk about that as well. 
yeah, that that sucks. So <laughs> yeah. I went down there this year and thought I would just drive through and get out, walk to a couple of the close signpost rubs and stuff in the original property I hunted, and none of them were hit this year again. And I'm sure there's good bucks there, but I wasn't going to sit around with that. So yeah, I just drove northwest. So yeah, absolutely. All right, so we have uh, we have this Ohio deer, right? So when did you when did you actually kill this deer? I killed this deer, I think, on the thirteenth of November. Okay, thirteenth of November. <laughs> How long did it take you to kill this deer? Um, How much time did you spend down there in Ohio? We only had three days to go down there before some of the guys wanted to be back for gun season here, which is the fifteenth. Gotcha. Okay. So, yep. you know, you mentioned you check the trail cameras, you, you realize that there's a specific deer in an area that you want to focus on. Um, you, you go in, you set up and, uh, like walk us through those three days in Ohio. Um, the normal ridge system that I hunt was getting hammered. I don't know if you noticed, that, but this year it seemed like license sales and the amount of people hunting was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it was, up in our state and then ohio was there was a ton of people in ohio this year yeah i can um, imagine had a, i wanted to go to um but that was getting really hammered so i just picked a different ridge i think the first day we got there we got there at night you know we got there like midnight and then we woke up in the morning and it was raining so we went and checked some cameras and then we picked spots to hunt that evening i just picked a ridge that had bucks on it but didn't have a lot of people on it um, and I end up seeing, I end up seeing a pretty nice buck. Really, I probably should have maybe tried to call it in a little closer to get a shot at it. But it was just a big, goofy, a huge four point on one side, and then a like a split spike and a brow tight on the other. But a mature deer. I seen that one the first the first night, um, with a doe, and then a couple other little bucks chasing them around hardcore. I watched them breed her, so I was definitely going back there in the morning but my stand wasn't in the perfect spot. So I pulled it down and I just stashed it in like a brush pile. And I just had plans of just hanging it in the morning when I come in. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So go ahead. I, well, I was just going to tell you what I did the next day, but yeah, go ahead. I went in the morning and I got to my stand and there was, there was deer still in that area. So I ended up just hunting, just sitting on the ground in this brush pile by my stand, waiting for some of the deer to clear out till it got daylight. I had one buck walk probably six yards from me on the ground, but he was like a hundred inches or something. Um, and then once those deer cleared out, I grabbed my stand and, and I went down in there closer to where that buck bred that doe before. And they, you know, they spent like an hour and a half in there that day. So I know there was going to be a lot of scent right in that area and stuff. So I set up on that. And then I end up sitting there all day and yeah. I didn't see much, but yeah. So kind of describe the terrain here. I mean, is it, is it just big ridge systems running down to a, a creek that runs down into a bigger river or how's like describe where these deer are living and how they're moving through the terrain? Um, they seem to, they, man, the deer down there just cruise like, we don't get ruts like that in Michigan. All the deer down there, they're cruising, looking for does, or they're with them, and they're chasing them like crazy. Yeah. 
Uh, I was on the bowl. I typically hunt like where like a, a steep ravine drainage will come to a head close to the top of a, a top of a ridge. That's where I'll end up hunting. Usually the runways are really strong there compared to other places. Yeah. Just like a terrain funnel of some kind. So that's usually where I end up hunting. Okay. Um, yep. And then, so, I mean, is this a, like sometimes in a, uh, in an area like this, or I mean, really anywhere that there's, there's a trail, right. And the trails tell you where, how close you need to set up to this. Um, are the indicators there like rub a rub lines or a main trail or scrapes that help you identify locations to hang your tree stands? Nah, that's the tough that's the tougher part in Ohio. I don't know what it is, if it's just because it's really big woods or the low deer densities, but there's not, it's not like the, the super defined trails or rub lines. You don't usually see that too much there. Yeah. Some spots, you know, but not, not very often though. No. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, which, when I say that, I, I mean, awesome. Like <laughs> you're, it comes, it comes a point where you're just guessing where i mean like the terrains the terrain is awesome the trails are awesome but there comes a point where you have to make a decision and like when you when you start making those decisions how far off are you i mean we're on this particular instance where you shot this buck were you off by a long ways were you off by just a little and had to uh, uh adjust just a little bit or did you nail it with the tree stand set up i I nailed it. He comes through chasing that doe almost the same spot that that other one did the night before. Okay. So I got, I nailed it on this one anyway. Yeah. So anyway, um, so the morning hunt was kind of a bust, but you came back to the same location for that evening or did you sit all, you, you sat all, all day until you shot this one, like in the early afternoon, right? Yeah. I was, I was going to sit there all day. Yep. Okay. All so right. I never, like nine or 10 in the morning. So, yeah. Did you see much movement, you know, the, the, after the morning movement, um, did you see much movement up until he came through with that doe? No. Um, I seen, I think a buck or a doe, you know, fairly early in the morning, other than all the deer that were there when it was still dark. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, then it was, you know, a long stretch of nothing, <laughs> which, which happens, but yeah. Uh, and, and then, so the next deer that you saw was that doe in this buck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That doe was, <laughs> that doe come over, come over the ridge down a ways with this buck on his tail. And I don't know if there was, I think there was one other one too. And so it's like, you're sitting there dead quiet and then the woods just erupts and this doe is running for her life. Yeah. This thing is right. And there's another one that comes over the ridge. Um, yeah, they end up going right underneath me, you know, 20 yards underneath me. And I've had it happen too many times down there. You can't get these deer to stop. Whether if they're cruising, they're like zombies and you can't get them to stop. Or obviously if they're with a doe like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to stop that thing. I had the loudest bleats you could think of. And I was basically yelling at it. And I didn't think he was going to stop. Like he got under me and quite a ways past me and i was at full draw 
and I was starting to look back at the other buck to see how big that one was because this one was on a dead run. I'm like, he ain't going to stop. I'm basically yelling at him. I glanced back. The other one wasn't very big. I looked back, and this one, like, put on the brakes and was stopped for a second looking back at, like, the other one. So I had to just hurry up and just guess the yardage and shoot. Well, it looks like you guessed so this- right, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not not just a gravy shot, but I just had to guess the yardage, and I shot, uh, I shot a little low on it. Yeah. Um, I just he, he was hit hard, like he took off running, like he was gonna chase the doe, and he just couldn't go. He went like thirty yards, and he was just stopped there. Yeah. His head was hanging real low, and he just didn't. I don't know. I thought for sure I would would have nicked the heart, but I must not have. This one is a little more of a story to the recovery on this one. So. But, so you, you you hit him low in the like under the heart. It must have been under the heart, like in the armpit. Yeah, quartering to me a little bit. Yeah. So you like you hit some kind of vessel vessels, or did you did you? I mean, after you shot him, you said he he put his head down and he's he just stood there. Um, how long before he got up and run, or did he, did you watch him fall? No, he stood there for. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes you know at this point i had another arrow knock but he was like 60 yards away but in in some thick stuff yeah uh, otherwise i would have just gave him a follow-up shot so so meanwhile i'm standing in this stand the sun is just blaring on me it's right in the middle of the day like i said 130 i shot him and i'm trying to get another shot at him so i know i'm standing i probably stick out like a sore thumb in this stand i was only two sticks high but I got some eighters and stuff, so I can get fairly high, actually, two sticks. But I think he started walking, and I was going to try to get a shot, so I ranged it, and it was like 65 yards or something. And he I never forget, he looked at I know he seen me. His eyes were, like, squinted. He looked at me, and he tried to run up the hill, and he couldn't even – like, he barely ran up the hill, barely, and he had to walk the rest of the way. Yeah. So he made it maybe, like, 100 yards till he got to, a, like, a thicker ridge top, and then I couldn't see him anymore. Um, while he was standing there with your binos, were you able to see any blood loss coming out of him at all? Yeah, he was, he was bleeding and he had something dripping out of his mouth too. So I thought, obviously when he stood there that long, I'm like, well, I didn't hit the heart, but that's what I thought I was going to end up hitting. But yeah, no, I didn't. So I was a little bit nervous and I always back out either way if I don't see him fall. So yeah. Okay. It was a long so how long did you wait until uh, you went back and started tracking him? I just waited till the next morning. I oh, just okay. didn't think that I could. Yeah, I mean, you could tell he was hurt, but if I didn't hit the heart, I mean, what else is there to hit if you're below the heart? Yeah. So I was nervous. Yeah. I'm shooting some giant expandables, but. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. you go, yeah. you, you waited until the next morning you go back, um, to that, to that location and was the blood trail easy to follow at that point? Um, yeah, the blood trail was fairly easy to follow. It was a little thin where he ran up the hill there. I got up on top of the hill. We started tracking like still in the dark in the morning. Yeah. One buddy come with and we found like a couple different beds there that had some blood in it. And then it finally started getting light enough where we could see decent and we didn't need our headlamps and stuff. And, um, I found where the blood trail like had like circled back basically, like he back traced himself a ways. So 
so then I yelled to my buddy to come up the hill. Well, when he came up the hill, we started following it, and we look up, and he's bedded there, and he's still alive, <laughs> but barely, but he's still alive. Yeah. It was crazy. So I went to, I put an arrow on, and I went to, sh- was going to shoot him, and I was in a bunch of thick stuff, so I took a step back, so I didn't hit the branches, and he and he took off, like, but not great. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just quick shot, like, I don't think I had, I don't have my my string anchored or nothing you know i just shot yeah and uh i don't know actually the funny story is that my buddy thinks i shot one of his tines off which i very well could have who knows but <laughs> one of all his all his tines there when, when i was watching him for 15 minutes but when i got to him he had one of his tines broke off that's crazy so anyway potentially is this like seriously you really think that you you an arrow took one of his tines off, or do you think he maybe crashed into a tree, and like throughout the night and uh and and lost it then? His tine was on before I got that second shot at him. So, but he he went downhill past a bunch of trees. I got you. And we looked forever. So <laughs> who knows? I could have. Yeah. So I grabbed and chased after him, and he finally went into like a pile of briars and stuff and i was able to get another one in them but yeah yeah i still don't even know what i hit man honestly i i shoot people could, i don't even care what people say anyway but i shoot big expand yeah. um but i got 31 inch draw and i've got you know a fast bow and i'm shooting 75 pounds i mean heck i could probably shoot a freaking cape buffalo with my setup so right i right. big expandables you never know if you're gonna have a you gotta guess the yardage or you gotta stick it back a little bit i mean yeah, but yeah, I don't know if I had a, if I had a regular tip on this thing. I'm just a you know like a muzzy or something. Or I don't know if I'd have got this deer honestly because I don't really know what I hit. Yeah, diaphragm might have been punctured. Hit no harder lungs or nothing. So you, I wonder if you it, it some, somehow. I mean, did you find your arrow at all, or was it still like in him? No, it passed completely through. Okay. So it almost, I wonder if you maybe got a little trachea, if he's bleeding out of the mouth a little bit, right? And uh, he kind of, I don't know, choked on some blood. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be. There was a huge gash like in his leg and his armpit. Yeah. So a bunch of muscle damage, but I could have hit some of that trachea. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, congratulations, man. Uh, one hell of a year. Uh, you know, we didn't even get into your mule deer or your boys buck from, from this year, but, uh, uh, man, really awesome story. I mean, it sounds like you, you love hunting, my friend. Oh yeah. Uh, it was a great year. I Indiana when I was there. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, what's on the agenda for this year? Um, Drew a a good archery tag for Montana for elk. Okay. On the agenda, and then I'm sure Ohio and Indiana for sure. And then I don't know. I'd like to try to hit you know like a different state every year too, kind of broaden the horizon a little bit. But yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what, uh, congratulations on one hell of a year last year, and uh, good luck on this upcoming season, man. I appreciate it. You too. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Kevin. Huge shout out to Wasp, Vortex, Ozonics, 
and Lone Wolf. Man, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. That would mean a lot to me. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles wherever you download your podcasts. Subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation, the Hunting Gear Podcast. Any of your favorite podcasts from the Sportsman's Nation, subscribe. That means a lot to us. And uh, if you're so inclined, go and leave a five-star review, man. I I would really uh, appreciate that. Anyway, have a good one. Good vibes in, good vibes out. And we'll talk to you next time.